Well, we sang several songs this morning, but we could have just sang that one right there and we would have been singing with the host of angels in heaven. How cool is that to think about in current heaven right now, that is the song that never ends. That's a cool thing. Well, most of us love getting shiny new things. Let's think about new cars for a moment. We, many, many of you love a brand new car. Maybe, you're, maybe you have your eyes set on that new Tesla if you're like concerned about being green or whatever that's called, because uh, mine's definitely not very green. Uh, maybe you're looking for like a, ch a Charger or a Camaro, something like that. For me, uh, I would love to get my hands on a 1997 Ford F-350 Power Stroke Diesel. And so if any of y'all have one of those laying around that you want to gift a poor pastor, I would definitely take it. I'd like it to be black, not that I'm being too picky. But I would love to have Ford F-350 Power Stroke diesel. Single cab, eight-foot bed, by the way. So just in case you see that. Uh, maybe you like getting new furniture. You love that moment when you get the new couch. For me, it was the recliner that I got during some of the, some of the, the COVID purchasing that happened, uh, which we had to wait eight months for, but we got it. And so uh, maybe it's technology. Maybe you love phones, uh, new watches, different gadgets, gaming systems, whatever it may be. You love shiny new things. And as an American society, we love shopping. We love upgrading. We love busting open that Amazon box with that brand new set of dishes inside for the ladies, mostly, I think. For me, it was yesterday opening up the box from the Black Rifle Coffee Company with my brand new hat that I've been waiting for two weeks for. And so I was very thankful for that to come in. But what usually happens when we get that new shiny thing? Well, it gets old. It gets outdated. We get tired of it or it doesn't, it doesn't, the new begins to wear off. Eventually, it just doesn't deliver the excitement that it once delivered. And, and you feel like you're missing out all again, so the cycle starts over. But there has to be more. There has to be something else. There has to be something that we need. And we feel these things because we are human beings, because all of these good gifts that we experience, that we have, that we have access to, they were never actually meant to satisfy us. Now, I touched on this last week, but I, I want to address one of the, some of the greatest fears that I've heard when it comes to heaven and eternity. Like, how could anything be exciting forever? How could singing that same line, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, how could that not get boring? And it may seem hard for us to believe but those, those fears and those feelings that we have that, that are, are, are normal for us, they'll be gone. When we get to the new heaven and the new earth, all of the things that, that, we, that, we, that we have setting us back here on this earth, they will no longer exist. And so when our God promises joy everlasting, we can take him at his word and we can trust that what he means is what he says. So we're going to get into some of the more exciting details this morning in this journey to, uh, uh, as we talk about the future heaven. We've talked about the promise of heaven. We've talked about the current heaven, what's happening right now. 
And last week we started with part one of the future heaven. So if you have a Bible, find Revelation 21. It's where we were last week. And so we're going to continue kind of working through chapter 21 here in Revelation. And this part of the series is something that I've been looking forward to for several weeks now. This new city is described. And although I prefer country life, I... um, and pretty much vowed that I will never, ever, ever live in a city again. This one is different. And what I'm reading, what it tells me is I, we, we will all enjoy this new city that God has promised us. And this city is unlike any other city. God has made it clear that it's going to be a perfect place. There'll be no sin There'll be no pain, there'll be no death ever in this new city. It'll be filled with people who responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have repented of their sins and called on Jesus to save them, who have lived for something that is out of this world, people who have lived for his will and not their own will. And so what will this city be like? I'm so glad that you asked this morning. So we're going to start right where we left off last week with verse 9. John writes, he said, Then came out of heaven the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And then John describes what he sees. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and, his, and its walls. And so this is for those, there's, there's some people who say that this is figurative language that we, but what we have here is a literal measuring tool being used for specific understandable measurements. I think it's so cool. It doesn't sound like a simple, meaningless thing. Verse 16, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. So we have this cubed-shaped structure. He also measured its wall to be 144 cubits by human measurements. That's 216 feet, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So here's the picture that we see. This is going to... This is super deep. Heaven will be perfect. 
sum it all up. Heaven is going to be perfect. It's going to be the most amazing thing that we've ever laid our eyes on. And so John is letting the church know. He's letting his, his, the followers of Christ know just a little bit about this future because it can be so hard to feel as we live in this fallen world to truly understand what a perfect world will actually be like. And God's people need a clear picture of what it might be like to live in a world that's not fallen. And that is our future. So John sees all of this coming down out of the sky. And then he ends up on this high mountain where he sees this new future city in real time. And the angels pull out the biggest tape measure ever made. And they begin mapping out its size. John says the angel uses the rod that was 12 stadia in length. And since the city appears to be in cube shape, it's as long and as high as it is wide. And then we see this list of all of these gemstones, and they are the best of the best. You won't find anything more beautiful. It would, it, it's going to blow our minds. And if you ever want to study something, I would encourage you to just read this text and study those, those jewels and look at their beauty and, and dive a little deeper into their significance in the storyline. But how many of you checked out when we read the word stadia? I know some of you did because when I was a teenager or I was in college, I just, I just checked out with words like that. How big is 12,000 stadia? It's 1,400 miles. So imagine just for a moment if you're John and you see this 1,400-mile city coming down out of the sky. We would all be overwhelmed. Now, have you ever wondered why John is up on this mountain during this. He has to get so high just to see it all. Gates that are always open. There's nothing to keep out. There's nothing to keep in. There's angels upon angels. We're singing a song that never ends. We're worshiping our Savior night and day. It never stops. My imagine gets going, though, when I think about this picture of heaven that John has painted us. Will there be floors or levels? In heaven? And many scholars agree that yes, there will be. How many floors is 1,400 miles? Well, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of floors, but I'd like to be on the top floor if that's possible. But I also ask questions like this Will we need elevators to get around? Or will we just beam up, beam up there like in Star Trek? Unfortunately, we're not told. But I can't wait to see what it's going to be like. And since we're in heaven, we'll have all the time that we need to get to places. But here's what Randy Alcorn says. If you haven't yet picked up his book on heaven, I would encourage you to do that. But Randy Alcorn says, if it's a 1,400-mile cube, and if the city consists of different levels, if, and if each story were a generous 12 feet high, the city could have 600,000 stories. If they were on different levels... Billions of people could occupy the New Jerusalem with many square miles per person just in the city part alone. And that's crazy, by the way. A city of this size in the middle of the United States would stretch from Canada to Mexico and from the Appalachian Mountains to the California border. 
It's a big place. I can't wait to see it. The other question that, I, that you hear often is, will we sleep in heaven? Well, the city and the rooms we'll have that Jesus says he's preparing for us right now is likely where we'll reside, but we're not sure if we'll do any sleeping since we'll technically have new bodies and those bodies won't tire. Or if we do sleep, it will be purely for rejuvenation like it was for Adam and Eve in the garden. There won't be any weariness associated with our time in heaven, just like before the curse. So maybe we'll sleep for different reasons. Will heaven be crowded is a question that I would like to see answered. (laughs) I mean, did you hear those measurements though? The city will have all the space that we need. I mean, get this picture. The ground level in each level would be nearly 2 million square miles. That's over 1 trillion square miles that heaven will make up. This one level, if, 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 if there are levels, one level would be larger than all of England and you could fit the city of London in it 15,000 times. It's larger than India and it's 10 times as big as France and Germany. But that would just be the ground level. So this place is huge. I kind of hope that we can just kind of pull up or beam up to whatever level Nehemiah or some of our favorite heroes of the faith are on and ask them to tell us stories of what they saw God do in their lives. Or missionaries like Hudson Taylor. I don't know who you would put on that list. Maybe text me or send me an email and let me know who you'd like to talk to when you get to heaven. And I'm not sure that we'll be able to recognize them by their clothing because I'm not sure what we'll be wearing, but it's possible that they'll have Bible Times clothes on. Some scholars actually believe that since the Bible teaches that we will keep some elements of our heritage, like language and physical features, that we may wear what we like wearing on earth. Who knows? Maybe we'll dress for whatever occasion we're attending or where we're serving. Regardless, the Bible does mention that people in Jesus and even angels having different articles of of clothing will be there, so no fear. I don't think we'll all be naked in heaven. So I had some interesting conversations this week with some people about that, and it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. But it would be misleading for the Bible to call the New Jerusalem a city if it doesn't have city-like characteristics. It would be safe to assume that the city region will have streets, and as the scriptures say, there there are streets. It will have activities and music and much more. If you're an engineer, you're going to love heaven, I believe. The food will be top-notch, and the company we keep will be the best. Even introverts will possibly enjoy multiple nights in a row of meeting with people. But it won't. Here's what I love about this study. Here's what I love thinking about. It won't have the parts of the city that we currently hate. It won't have crime and pollution and garbage and overcrowding. And in my studies of what theologians have said, there's no reason to assume that technology couldn't be there and that it couldn't increase. But imagine all the new things that we can discover 
as Adam and Eve would have done in the garden while using 100% of their resurrected brain and not getting tired or jealous or competitive. I don't know what the statistics are, but we don't even come close to using all that our brains are able to do. But when we get to heaven, we will be able to use all of our brain. Now about the food, because that's important. People have asked, how do we know that we're going to, to have good food in heaven? Well, Scripture is very clear that in many places, if you've read through, and it heavily indicates in others that we will eat and we will drink for enjoyment in heaven. Matthew 8, Luke 22 and 24, Philippians 3, Revelation 22 are just a few of the sections of Scripture that talk about food and celebration and fellowship in heaven. My favorite is in Isaiah 25. It says, In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. Does that mean the grapes are going to be clear? It's kind of cool. Um, But Randy Alcorn, I want to read this. Randy Alcorn, after talking about what a great cook his wife is and how much he loves all of her food, he says this. The person who's eaten the widest variety of meals on earth still hasn't tasted countless others. How many special dishes will you discover on the new earth? As yet, you may not have tasted your favorite meal. And if you have, it didn't taste as good as it will there. After all, our resurrected bodies will have resurrected taste buds. The best meals you'll ever eat are still ahead of you on the new earth. One wonderful thing, Randy says, about heaven is that we'll be able to enjoy such amazing food without without having to battle sin. There'll be no gluttony. There'll be no eating disorders, no indigestion. Hallelujah. No higher or low blood sugar. As I reach my closer to my 40s, like pizza, it's a struggle. Um... And, and we, which is good news, as Randy says, to an insulin-dependent diabetic like him. We won't need fine meals. We don't need them now. But we enjoy them now for the same reason we'll enjoy them then. Because God made us to enjoy them and to glorify him as we eat and as we drink, as 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. I really hope you'll grab that book by Randy called Heaven, and then The Real Heaven by Chip Ingram. Those are the two books I would recommend, and I've recommended them several times. But For those of you who like the city, you're going to love it. For those who dislike the city, you're going to like it too. But there's more to heaven than just the city. There will be a new earth, and there will also be country. There will be rivers, there will be land, there will be animals, there's going to be fruit and vegetation, there will be mountains. Heaven is huge. And verses 18 through 21 make it obvious that it will be filled with beauty. It's for us to enjoy forever. Verse 22 continues. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Now, there still may be sun and stars, not for need, maybe just for beauty. They will bring it into, 
They will bring it, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Flip over to chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and, its, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Heaven will have everything that we need. God is going to take care of us. He takes care of us now, but he is going to take care of us for all of eternity. His care for us will never end. It will never stop. He loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He is faithful now, and he will be faithful to the end, and he will be faithful for all of eternity. And we will worship him only. We will not be distracted by all of these new shiny things. We will not want for anything else but what he has given us and what he is providing for us. We will worship him and worship him only. Nothing will be drawing us away from him. No sin, no evil desires, there'll be no wickedness. We will worship him in his holiness forever. And we will have constant visual and physical access to him. And we will co-rule and reign. And since we rule and Jesus has a kingdom and there are nations present in heaven, it's likely that it'll be some type of, of government structure. But for the great reason so many hate politics, imagine a perfectly organized government led with no corruption and zero greed and there's no hunger for power. It will be perfection like we've never known like we've truly only longed for heaven will have everything we need and when we trust our good God we can look forward to that heaven and as I've said throughout this whole series I know that is so difficult and it can be so challenging to get our minds to comprehend what that moment will be like what it will be like to, to be in heaven, even in the present heaven, and to understand all the things that, that God has prepared for us. It is so difficult to wrap our minds around those things because we live in a fallen world. We still have all of these things that are distracting us. You still have all of these desires that are, that are, that are sinful in nature. Many of them are. And they keep pulling us away from what we have waiting for us. But when we trust him, we can trust that what he's promised us is best. And sometimes that's just a frame of mind. And those are some of the things that we can know. 
There are a lot of question marks I know. There are a lot of things that we may want answers to on this side of eternity, and we just, we just don't have the answers to all of those questions. But God has given us enough to look forward to. Heaven will be perfect, and heaven will have everything that we need. Hang on to that. When life gets hard, when there are challenges and when there are struggles, when you're not sure that you can make it another day, hold on because you can, because he has promised something better. And we are to be faithful until the end. That's what leads me to this last thing this morning. I have to switch gears. I've referenced this every week so far in the series. And for just a moment, with all of the things that we have to look forward to in mind, we have to talk about right now. We have to talk about today. We have to talk about what today means in relation to eternity. And you could turn there if you'd like, but if not, it'll be on the screen. But I want to go back to Colossians 3, where we began this entire series a few weeks ago. Because Paul talks a lot about eternity. Paul talks a lot about eternal things. And what we do, because how we live on this earth has an effect on eternity. And we have to remember that as we, as we navigate this. So Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul gives us that challenge that I've, I've mentioned every week, to seek the things that are above. How many of you have ever been on a mission to find something? Like you're in a desperate search to find your keys, or your phone, or your coffee mug, you're in a desperate search. You're looking for it. You hunt. You're turning things over. You're dumping things out. And you're seeking to find something. And it's tough. And it's challenging. That's the picture that I want you to imagine Paul is painting for us here in Colossians 3. Seek the Lord with that same diligence on things that are above. Are we seeking him more than anything else? But verse 2 is where the real challenge is for us today. To set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So how do we set our minds in that way? And what difference is that supposed to really make? Are we filling our, our calendars with our minds that are set on eternity, on things that are above? Are we discipling our kids, if you're a parent, with our minds set on things that are above? Are we serving inside and outside the church with, with minds that are set on Christ? Are we giving financially to eternal things with our minds set on eternity? Are we having intentional gospel conversations 
with our coworkers and with our friends and our neighbors and our family members, with our minds set on eternal things and things that are above? These are real questions I think we all need to consider because how we live today makes an impact on what happens in eternity. When we have an eternal mindset, the reality is heaven changes everything. Heaven changes it all. Jesus changes everything. The gospel changes everything. And Christ gives us what we need to do all of this. He will come again. So are we seeking his kingdom? Are we seeking his heart? And are we setting our minds on eternal things? Now, if you're here this morning and you know Christ as your Savior, He is your Lord, He is your King, that's for you. Like, that's the challenge for us today. We have so much to look forward to. We have this perfect heaven that is waiting on us, and we are challenged to seek Him and to set our minds on things that are above. That's for us, if you know Jesus. That's, that's our challenge this morning. But maybe you're here this morning, or you're watching online, and all of this is new. And all of this is, is different. And, and you're not... You're, you're, you're sure that you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The only reason that I can stand here today and say the things that I say is because I'm sure that my citizenship is in heaven. And it's because of what Jesus has done for me, not a single thing that I have done or will do. That we're all starting off on the same playing field as, as sinners who need Jesus to save them. We all have the same gospel offer, the same responsibility to respond to Jesus' offer of rescue. There's no need to spend eternity apart from him. If you still have your Bibles in Revelation 21, I'm going to read this verse 27 again. John says about this heaven, but nothing unclean will ever, will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible is clear that when we are saved, that our names are recorded. Is your name recorded in that book? Do you know that you are going to this perfect place called heaven. And if you have questions about that, my challenge and my encouragement this morning, my plea for you is to respond to the gospel. Because one thing is certain, Jesus who has promised this place in heaven for those who have put their faith and trust in him, he did something amazing for you. And he, because he came to this world and he took on flesh and he, he bore the weight of your sin and my sin and he took the punishment for that sin on the cross of Calvary and he gave up his life to pay the price for your sin. And he makes it clear that if you respond to his gospel appeal, you can have life and life abundantly. 
you can have eternity in this place called heaven because people who have not responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ will not be in this perfect heaven. No matter what philosophers say today, not everyone is going to heaven, but everyone has the option to go there. And so will you respond? The Bible says that all we have to do is repent of our sin, believe the gospel, and call on Jesus to save us. He makes it real simple. You don't have to write a check to go to heaven. You don't have to serve your entire life every single day and and sacrifice home and car and all the things in order to go to heaven. You don't have to to do all of those things. There's there's no price that you have to pay on on your own. Jesus has already paid the price. And he has made it available. We would call for you. The Bible would call for you to repent and believe the gospel. You can do that where you sit, or you can find someone after the service. We're going to have a, a deacon over here to my left, your right, and they would love to answer any questions that you may have about the gospel and about Jesus and about what eternity really holds in store for those who know him. Because when we, when you trust our good God, we can look forward to heaven. I want to end with the same challenge that I've ended with every week. Do you know someone who won't be there? Because the reality is we all do. We all know someone who will not be in heaven with us. So what will we do about it? Who is going to tell that person if not for you? I understand that that's hard. It has its own unique challenges. Pray that God would give you the strength and the wisdom and the boldness and the knowledge to know when and how to take the gospel to those who need it. So who are you building a relationship with? Who are you sharing the story of the gospel with? And who have you invited to come and hear and see and experience? My challenge for all of you today is simple. Set your mind on things that are above. And all of these things will start working themselves out. And invite someone to come with you next Sunday. Say, I'm saving you a seat next Sunday at church. I want you to come and just be a part of our church. Be a part of our service. And they'll hear the gospel. Because there isn't a single pastor who stands on this platform that doesn't take the opportunity to at least present the most life-changing thing that we've ever heard to someone who needs to hear it. So will you build the relationship, share the story, and bring the people? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful and thankful for the opportunity that we've had to gather together today for worship, to sing songs to you, to hear your word, to read your word, to be challenged by what you have said to us. So God, I pray that we would be a people who are seeking you and setting our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. Give us wisdom, give us strength, understanding, 
and passion for the things that you've called us to do and be about it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.